for listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining in. I got good my good friend over here, Ricardo Gonzalez, um, who is the CEO of Bilingual America, author of uh, The Six Stages of Cultural Mastery, doing course and many more things. But Ricardo, welcome to LinkedIn Live. Great, man. Great to be here. Good to see you again. I good need to wear the hat today, Sangram. <laughs> why why yeah, is it that people with hair are wearing hats and people without hair are not? That's That's a good existential question for us. You don't want to see what's below this thing right now. It is so bad. It is so bad. But hey, folks, I wanted to wanted to give show Ginger, who is the former Southwest Airlines um, uh, SVP of uh, Culture and Communications. Uh, we were trying to get her online, and she's in New Mexico, and it just kept dropping in and out. So we decided we're going to do it another time, and we hate to do that with her. Uh, but I'm so glad. I mean, this is where I feel like God always has a plan. Uh, beyond us. So that's why this is the first time I'm actually doing a LinkedIn Live with two people. And uh, and it worked out. It's fine. It's going to be just Ricardo and I having great conversation on cultural mastery, uh, which which I think is very different. And I think people are still needing to recognize the difference between what is culture as at an organizational level and what are the cultural elements even at an organizational level. So so I'm I'm so excited to dive into it. So so Ricardo, love for you to share just a little bit about yourself. What have you been up to? And we'll just jump into this topic. Yeah, I mean, I I, I work with culture because I I came out of a very dysfunctional cultural background. I mean, I, for me, it's like very personal. Uh, my dad was one of 27 kids from like the mountains of Puerto Rico, and my mother was an orphan from the state of Kentucky. And and so I mean, I literally, I'm a Puerto Rican hillbilly, you know. <laughs> and, and and so I mean we just we just lived an incredible amount of cultural dysfunction. So for me, it's just you know, can we bring people together? It doesn't mean we all have to agree with each other. I always tell people we 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 don't disagree. We we disagree because we're disagreeable. You know, it's not the it's not disagreeing that's hurting us, right? It's being disagreeable that's hurting us. You know, and and so it's like we want all of this diversity of ethnicities and backgrounds within our organizations, but. We're shutting down a lot of diversity of thought as well, and that's that's hurting our, our ability to really move forward. So, I, I think that you know, for me, it's like, can we bring people together while at the same time everyone honoring their own cultures, right? And yes, mm-hmm. there's a huge difference between organizational culture and say being a master of culture and really understanding what culture is all about. So, how, however you want to take this, Sangram, I don't know your audience well enough to know. Yeah what's what's really in their interest and what's in their wheelhouse and what they need here. So I'll, I'll kind of lean on you a little bit. Let, let's let's jump into it. So um, Erica, welcome from North Carolina. I missed you this morning. So we, I've been doing this Monday and Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. LinkedIn Live and just have people in marketing and, and, and business ownership to come in and talk about topics. Uh, great to see you, Laura. Amy Baylog, uh, you might know Amy, uh, Ricardo, I don't know, but she she's, she has been a big LeaderCast supporter and LeaderCast speaker. Uh, she actually spoke at Terminus at one of her all hands recently. She's phenomenal and she's been on it. But uh, she says, peace uh, back to you. We've never met personally, but we've, we've chatted back and forth just a little bit. So That's awesome. So, so you wrote the book on the six stages of cultural mastery. And yeah. I remember us walking through briefly what that actually meant. And, and why people should think and care about this. And I also want to bring it back to the today's scenario and think about like, why is it probably more important than, than ever before? So could you just give a quick outline of like, why did, you, why did you write the book? And I know this book has been used at universities and others. So just yeah. give a little bit more flavor for where is this book used for and what is it so, used for? So it's all about cultural mindset and skill set, right? And so the research we did what we learned was that even people who were working with people, right? And what I mean by that are people who are working in diversity and inclusion, uh, people who are working with culture. When we would assess those people, we would find that we still had some severe 
uh, lack in our cultural mindset and our skill set. And so cultural mastery is really a process. It's a way to move from uh, where I am, right? It, it's kind of a roadmap to how do I get to a place where I have a both a healthy cultural mindset and a healthy cultural skill set. And so it really takes us through that process with the ultimate goal being endearment, which is stage six, which mm -hmm. is we actually learn to love each other. I have a real aversion, Sangram, to the, to the whole concept of cultural tolerance because it's like, you know, what are we going to do? We're just going to keep gritting our teeth at each other the rest of our lives. We go, hey, I got to tolerate you, man. I just, you know, geez, you know, and, and it's like, no, let's get to cultural endearment. We, we can learn to love each other. You know, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, you know, we're not divided because we disagree. We're just divided because we're disagreeable. We don't have to agree on everything. You know, you know, I'm married. So are you. And, and, you know, we don't always agree with our spouses. Right. They don't always agree with us. But you know what? We love each other and we find ways to, to, to make it work together. And it's something with our culture that we've become so caustic. Uh, Arthur Brooks, who's done work with the Dalai Lama and stuff, he says we've become a culture of contempt. Mm. And and we actually have contempt for one another. And so what we're doing with cultural mastery is trying to get individual leaders with the skill set and the mindset that they need culturally to succeed with others, but also to really kind of get this right for themselves. Because what we're hearing over and over when people go through this is that that liberated me. That mm. changed me. That transformed me. Right. And so it, yeah. it's truly like an inside out job. When we're talking about mastering culture, it, it's and, and that's probably the main difference between organizational culture and like mastering culture, where mastering culture is like it's just like it's from the inside out, right? Right. And organizational culture, at least the way most of it's set up, tends to be from the outside in, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, and I love the word endearment, and I, I well, the first time you shared that with me, I feel and give a thumbs up if you if you actually look at that. Um, endearment is a word that you um, you care about because ultimately, yeah, uh, we have disagreements. And right now, I think culturally and because of everything that's happening right now, people are probably more in contempt, more in disarray, more yeah. in not knowing what to do, and probably short on grace and short on patience and short on just the ability to like love, fully love as much as we want to say and say and do it. How is it in your view, as you are now experiencing things, and you taught that course so many times, you, lots of people have read your book. I even remember you telling me like once uh, somebody in the airport, like you were sitting like, are you that guy who did that? Because oh, yeah. you're both like, you know, this is who you are. You really care about this. How do you see this topic? evolving in today's circumstances? I think we're in a bad place. I, I know some people, you know, there are pockets where people have come together, but just if you take the macro, especially the United States, right? We're not in a good place. And if, if you just read a typical Facebook thread, right? And someone makes some comment about something that some political leader on the right or the left does, it's just like pile on, right? Yeah. And in a lot of ways, we're acting like the third grade bullies on the playground, you know? Yeah. And, and this is on all sides of political ideology. Mm -hmm. And what we have to recognize as organizational leaders is those same people, they're coming to work for us and with yeah. us, right? So they may be adjusting themselves within the workplace, but this is who they really are. And so I don't think we're coming out of this. Un unfortunately, you know, in, in the biggest crisis that we've all seen in our lifetimes, right, we're coming out of this actually more divided. Um, and we're moving straight into a political season that's going to be incredibly divisive. Yeah. And so I think that the message is more important right now than it ever has been that we need to learn to be endeared to one another mm. as human beings. And understand that, okay, I have my culture, okay, which honestly, a lot of people don't even know what that means. It's such a broad term. In it, it, is a, it, it is a broad term, but it's also something that can be very quickly and easily understood. Maybe we can get there, right? 
because if I don't know what it is, I can't manage it. Yes. Whether as a human being, as a person, or even, or as an organizational leader, much less. And so, I mean, I've asked CEOs and C-suite executives for years now, define your culture, right? And I'm going to tell you, to the person, they can't. And, and the reason that they can't is because most of them don't even really know what culture is. They're guessing. And so I think it's important that we become definitive as to what culture is, because if I don't know, I can't manage it. But I'm, I'm very concerned uh, right now for, for our country. I think we're not in a good place. A, a global crisis that should have brought the world together has not. Yeah. A national crisis in the United States that should have brought all of us together has not. Right? Yep. So now we have people, you know, just to give an example, right? So you have people who are, they, they want to get their businesses open. They're, you know, they're starving, right? Yeah. And, and these are primarily entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs, as you know, are risk takers by nature. And they're now the bad guys. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they're the ones that, and, and you see these things that people say like, oh, so you just want to kill people. Right? And so anybody who's kind of watching realizes that this is, and, and of course, it's, it's extrapolated, you know, by the narratives that are out there. But I think that culturally, all of us should take a deep breath and, and probably just recognize we're all human beings. All of us come from various world viewpoints and frameworks. And maybe I'm not right about everything. Yeah. Maybe I don't know everything. Exactly. Maybe I just read this meme. Or I read this article by this person with this bias. Yeah. And I'm just going on that. And maybe I'm not even willing to face my own biases. Yeah. Because they don't align with what I want to happen. There's Ginger. All right. There you go. Very cool. Difficulties. I'm on my third device. And it's working. It's perfect. It's working. It's great. This. This is pretty awesome. So, Jim, it's so grateful to have you. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Sanger. Great to be part of the scene. Thank again. you. It's great Good to, to see be you again, you guys. Thank you. All right, all right. So, I mean, we're we're going to jump in in it because we were going deep on the idea of like just political culture and the co- the idea of what culture really means. And I have got a question for all of you. Like, put in put in your comments around how do you define culture? Because I want to really hear you. And I want to put that out there because Ricardo, you have that question is really interesting and important. How do you find culture? Just Erica, Amy, just write it down as, as you see this. And, and Ginger, for those who don't know, I'm going to give a quick intro for you and then let you share a, a little bit more because I'm sure I'm not going to do full credit to everything you've done. But Ginger uh, is a former SVP of culture and communications at Southwest Airlines. She was there for over 25 years. Uh, on a team of about 150 people plus that were responsible for building the great culture, the legendary culture that we all know and talk about at Southwest Airlines. Uh, and she also now started, as she retired from that, she started UnstoppableCultures.com, where, uh, where she's talking about how companies can create and thrive great cultures. Um, I love the manifesto, which I, I want to get to in a little bit, because you have a great manifesto on your website. Uh, unstoppablecultures.com that I think ties into what Ricardo was just mentioning. So I'm going to bring that up. But uh, Ginger, welcome uh, welcome to, to live. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Sorry. <laughs> that, you know, this work from home thing with the Wi-Fi having problems this morning, I think everybody can relate. Uh, yes. So thanks, everybody, for, for the patience on that. Uh, you guys were talking about when I, I was listening to talk about defining culture. And um, one of the things that I think is so important to organizations to know is what are your values? I think a lot of times our cultures flow out of our values. And a lot of times organizations don't put enough time into that. They put enough time into deciding what they might be, but maybe not enough time into living them. And now more than ever, the character of our organizations are becoming very apparent uh, because, as you know, character is revealed in difficult times. So how are we continuing to stay true to our values and uh, refreshing on those all the time? And nothing can turn an organization toxic 
faster than upper management not living the values and how they're going about uh, living the values. So something comes to mind from the CEO of Marriott. I think a lot of people watched his video early on. He was one of the first CEOs out there uh, being talking about what might be coming. And, and uh, he was the first one to use lay, the word layoffs, I think. But he yeah. did it with such humility and compassion. And you could tell it really pained him to have to uh, talk about that. But it was a reality that was coming for his organization and also for many other organizations. But how, how we live our values through uh, that authenticity, that empathy, and uh, the actions that we take. So that's a great point. I'm just going to read a couple of thoughts that came in. Um, so Erica talks about humility as, as the way you define culture. Uh, Megan talks about action. To your point, Jidjan, to your point, Ricardo's like, and you got you to gotta live it out. Um, Amy talks about it being the shared values as how we treat each other in the world, and it feeds um, uh, and it feeds thriving into the people to grow. So I, I love I love the idea of personal values. As a matter of fact, one of the things when when this thing happened and we all were like supposed to just stay at home and we are still a lot of us are is uh, I, I remember having this conversation with CEO of Belay, uh, Brian Miles. I'm actually wearing uh, his one of his companies hat. Um, he you know, started his you know uh, brew company after that. So. Uh, it's funny I have this on, and he said, they, and they always were a remote company, 100% remote company, one of the fastest growing companies uh, with top, you know, top 50 companies on Inc. and all that stuff. And they're like, hey, look, we've been doing this for 10 years. I don't know what the problem is with people in terms because everybody said our culture is going to get ruined. We don't have, we have cultural values, which is why we need to be together so we can understand each other. And he said, look, 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 culture is not. Like and, and he didn't say it in those exact words, but I'm paraphrasing it. It's not, and, and I always thought it was, so I'll, I'll take that. That's me. It's not beanbags. It's not ping pong table. It's not people because Google and Microsoft and all these things, like, look at it. That's great culture, right? It's none of that. It's not the perks, you know, like you have that water cooler thing that is like now, you know, it has uh, carbonated water. Like that is not culture. Culture is how you live your shared values in everything you do. And, and to me, it just was a great reminder of like, culture is not getting killed right now that people are remote. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious to hear from both of you is one, let's talk with you, Ginger, and then Ricardo, I want to really jump into the idea of like how culture kind of blends in the cultural aspects of things because it's so much more important right now than, than ever. Ginger, when you ran uh, the the communications and the culture aspect of Southwest Airlines, obviously a legendary legendary work, and you did that for you know we part of that operation for twenty five years. You've seen it all and shared it, and I was watching some of your videos and things. What made like if you were to say, well, this is what made Southwest Airlines like have amazing culture? What was it? Well, for Southwest, it really started with the founder Herb Kelleher and another original employee, Colleen Barrett who eventually, Colleen became uh, the president. Now she's president emeritus of Southwest. And Herb passed away last year. But mm -hmm. that, that, that is what's so important to look at, that you can put, organizations can put their cultures in place. And as long as they continue to hire people who align with those values and align with that work ethic. So I always say culture starts before hiring. So it starts with how we talk about our organizations out in the world, how uh, that prospective employees know what it would be like to work in our organization so that we attract people who would fit well in our environments. So I think uh, our culture really starts before we even bring anybody into the organization. And we need to have the systems in place to continually reinforce that. So how we hire them. And I believe you hire tough so you can manage easy. There's actually a book by that name. I stole, I stole that slogan. Hire tough so you can manage easy. I like that. Yeah, because if you take the time to bring the right people into your organization, you're really hiring tough and uh, you allow them to be themselves, that reason you hired them for in the organization, you know, keep put them in a box and then you continue to reinforce your culture 
your values just aren't on the wall. Uh, yeah. You continue to live them every day. And you carry that through training. And you carry that through the performance management. I mean, at Southwest, part of our performance management was um, here, here I was, you know, an officer of the company, but the CEO uh, in my performance discussions, we talked about how I was living the values. And mm. that's how you bring it to life. You make sure you're doing it with all of your employees. How are you living the values every day? And uh, you carry it through all the way to sometimes our relationships with companies end. And how are you making that ending um, a good situation as well? Your turn, you, Ricardo. Yeah. I, I want, I, and I want you can continue, to, Ginger. I'm good. I'm, yeah. yeah. Okay. I have a more specific question for Ricardo. But before we get there, did the Southwest Airline, did, did you guys change your values for a period of time or they stayed the same from the beginning of time? In, in the very beginning, there was a mission statement. It wasn't really the values lined out, um, but several years, quite a few years in, uh, we did an exercise of really defining those values and, um, and driving them hard. And one of the things that came up with the values, the th- they're three, they're simple, they're easy to remember. It's looking for employees with a, a warrior spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody's going to work hard because it's, it's, a, it's a tough business. It's a tough job. You're in all kinds of weather sometimes if you're the employee loading the bags. So, um, and it's an on-time, it's an on-time issue as well, on-time airline. Uh, We're looking for employees with servant's heart because we're in the customer service business. And and you're also looking for people, and it was kind of unusual at Southwest, we were looking for a fun-loving attitude. And that didn't mean that everybody could tell a joke. That's not the point. But it meant that you didn't take yourself too seriously. Um, and that you, you put others first and you had a good time. You enjoyed your work. Yeah. And I've watched a lot of those videos and those things are so true. So Ricardo, how does that relate to cultural aspects of, uh, of organization? Because every organization have so many people from so many different cultures, which is one of the reasons why I wanted both of you on it, because I think that is the part that is often not talked about it almost. Uh, yeah, so, just so you know, Ginger and I are friends. So we actually did a program together. What was it? A couple of years ago, Ginger? That, that yeah, I, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I think I would probably expand it, uh, Sangram. If you, if you look at the macro of culture, right? So Ginger has referenced frequently values, okay? If you look at culture, and, and I don't know if I can do this or not, but I, I actually have a free lesson online called What is Culture? So if, if you want to give me permission to promote yeah. that, do so. Okay. But here's the thing. Culture exists of five elements. Okay. The, the first element of culture are beliefs. And then the second one are, are the values. And the values actually come out of the norms. So if you look at what Ginger just said, for example, with, with Herb, and and his uh, first partner there, I, I forget the lady's first name, Ginger. Colleen Barrett. Colleen Barrett. Yeah. Okay, so they they kind of started this culture because it came out of the way they thought, right? Right, right. And beliefs then will drive values, okay? So beliefs are what we think and values are what we think are important, is important, okay? Yeah. And then and if you kind of picture it like a circle, like five things going around, right? Okay, yeah. like spokes. Okay, so culture's in the middle, and then you have these five spokes in the middle. So first is beliefs, then values, then norms. Those are the things we expect. And Ginger referred to them. You know, we need people who will be on time, right? right. That became a norm within Southwest culture, I'm sure. Okay, because it's an on-time business. So right. you have beliefs, values, norms, and then you have symbols, and those are the visual elements. And Ginger knows a lot more about this than I do, I think, because. She's an expert in communications, and a lot of communications is nonverbal, right? A lot of it is, is visual in nature. And then you have, after symbols, you have language, okay? So I'm a believer, and we've done this with a few organizations, and I'm really something I want to continue to promote. And that is rather than creating a mission statement or just a value statement, to actually yeah. create a culture statement. And that cultural statement would, in fact, say, this is what we believe. This is what we value. This is the things that we expect. And these are the symbols we hold dear to ourselves. Like, for example, let's take a church, 
what are the symbols of a church? You know, well, you have symbol, right? If it's a Christian church, it's a cross. If it's, if it's a synagogue, it's the menorah or it's the Star of David, right? So every culture has these beliefs, values, norms, symbols, and language. How do we speak with one another? Hmm. Well, I would take it even beyond and probably package a little bit, maybe more, and because that's the way I think. I'm more yeah. of a process person. But I wish that companies and organizations would start thinking in terms of creating culture statements and really clearly defining their beliefs, values, norms, symbols, and language. I think we'd go a long way in helping people align much more quickly and much more easily. And it's something that's not being done out there, something we've been working on. And Ginger, if you want to work on that with me, I'd be happy to. <laughs> well, we, and you know, um, language, there are all different ways to call it. It could be a culture statement. At Southwest, we call it our purpose statement. And um, I encourage organizations to make it succinct and uh, something that employees can remember. And then how do we go about bringing it to life through storytelling? Because that's what people remember. They remember, they remember the stories about, oh, that's how, um, you know, a certain employee lived, lived that purpose. So the purpose itself was to, was to connect people and still is, is to connect people to what's important in their lives through friendly, reliable, and low-cost air travel. Well, today, in today's environment, um, they're still living that purpose and is still friendly, reliable, and low-cost. I mean, it's so friendly right now that if there's only one person on the plane, yeah, they are going to make the announcement to that one person. And uh, the flight attendants have done some amazing things. They've even asked that one person want to know all about you. And so they've, they've said, you know, welcome to this flight, Ricardo. Every, all <laughs> Very personal about making those in-flight announcements when, when the world has changed so dramatically. Can, can they send me a plane to the Dominican Republic and get me off this island now? You might get a private jet for that. Uh, but he, he, so here's a, here's a question from Amy. Amy's saying, was candor valued at Southwest and how did you help create that in the culture? So is candor part of the, the I mean it may not be part of specifically of the values, but how was it um, almost experienced as a yeah, how was it how was it brought to life? Um yeah. absolutely. Well let me just focus on what's being done right now with um the CEO of Southwest Airlines, Gary Kelly. And this is a universal lesson whether you're a CEO of a large organization or you're a manager of a department and you're trying to keep uh, your five employees oriented and focused on what, how the world has changed and what we're doing right now. And that is to be a strong communicator. And what that's one of the things Gary Kelly has definitely done during this crisis about candor. And he has gone out and you'll see examples of other CEOs as well who are being very direct about how their business is being affected and um, so, yes, um, candor was valued at Southwest. It wasn't listed as a value, but we lived it every day. And, and Gary going out, he's, he's done multiple video messages just because in this environment, we can't, you can't have physical um, yeah. groupings of people. But how many of our leaders are using all the channels that they could possibly use and being very honest with employees about the situation? Uh, where where the business is, uh, as well as what uh, the magic, the magic for a manager or a CEO is that candor and to connect it to the individual contributions of that worker. And it goes back yeah. to what Ricardo was talking about when I was talking about in terms of purpose. The magic is if we can connect with that employee about what their purpose is and what they do every day and the ultimate purpose of our organization. Um, that's when the magic happens. Yeah. Can I ask you a question, Sangram? Because I think yeah. it's um, So you you have a company that has two 250 people, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, you're a technology company, account-based marketing. You have coined ABM and, and you have Flip My Funnel sales. Well, not coined, but it definitely evangelized. All that good stuff. Okay, so you're co-founder. Yes. And But you guys had physical offices. Yeah. And you had a pretty established culture within that. Has that culture changed now that everyone is virtual? Have you seen some sort of cultural evolution now that the company is completely virtual by, by necessity? And, and how has that impacted in, as it relates perhaps to performance or 
even productivity. And and I know profitability has taken a real hit, but I'd be interested. Yeah. I think everybody might be interested to know how it's impacted your company because you're like a real company. You're like a real lab right now. Yeah, I'm a real lab. We are a real lab for sure. Uh, it's it's something that we are working on every single day. The best thing that has come out of all of this for us is that our communication has become so much more transparent than it has ever been. Hmm. Like Jindu, you just mentioned about like doing videos. Like we're like, why didn't we do this all the time, right? Like why didn't we have this ongoing conversation around it? So I, I really feel like one thing that has happened really well is that we now are having instead of having a monthly all hands where we just talk about product features and whatnot, uh, we're having it do weekly. And people can post questions and have comments and we're, we're trying to address that real time across the board. Uh, we're having, the teams are starting to have a daily stand-up where they're connecting with each other and, and figuring out what's going on and making sure that, that people are one in an okay place. And then two, have everything they need to support. So the communication level has, has increased beyond that. Now, talking about just company overall and profitability of the company, I think we could say, well, it's really bad, so here's what we're going to figure out. Or it's really good, so here's where you're going to double down. Weirdly, it's like 50-50, which is crazy to think about. I say 50-50 is because almost 50% of our customers and the net new customers that are coming, they're saying, oh, this is the best time to go digital. So this is the best time to use your services. And then there are 50% of the companies which are all emotional in, in that nature saying, hey, we got to pause, right? We, we don't know what's going to happen, right? And, and so how we do it. So we have two rallying cries that we have created internally that we talk about um, almost in every single conversation. And, and that the idea of rallying cry for us really, uh, for me, came from... Uh, uh, Patrick Lencioni, when uh, we interviewed him sometimes, like every company needs to not develop a rallying cry, not a new vision, not a new mission, but a new rallying cry. And our rallying cry became like twofold. One is helping is the new selling. So we made sure that every single salesperson is empowered by not quotas, but by ideas and ways to help. And one of the ways we're helping is doing things like this, because it has nothing to do with terminals, but it has everything to do with where people's emotional state is. And number two, we uh, start to phrase that retention is the new acquisition and saying, let's retain every one of our customers the best way we possibly can. Uh, if that means extending the contract, if that means supporting them with additional services, if that means uh, figuring out a way to help them in other things that we don't have expertise, but let's figure out whatever that is. So like, just make sure we have the retention. So we coming up with a rallying cry has really helped us center what's really important for our business at this given time. Can I, can I ask one follow-up question? And I know this yeah. isn't my interview, but I just, I'm curious. Yeah, right. <laughs> Go for it. From a cultural standpoint, are you now, you said you're having more transparent conversations, but are you having more personal conversations? Oh, yeah. And, and do you think that that will continue once the crisis passes? Because if it continues, and that becomes a new value or norm within your organization, you actually had a culture shift. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. I feel like we have gone, uh, the, the, the best way to put that, Ricardo, is I think we've gone from being in the boardrooms to living rooms. And what that has shaped and changed is that I know more about our team, what they like, what they don't like, how their kids look like, how their dogs you know, bark, and somebody has a 150-pound dog or somebody likes cute dogs and small dogs. Uh, what kind of wine people like to, you know, what, what really matters to them? Uh, how do they, how do they, and yeah, Ginger, you mentioned that the character is developed in, in uncertain and tough times and, and seeing how, who are actually the people I want to be on boat on when, when things go bad as we move them out of these things. So I feel it has opened up a new level of understanding of the teams that I never knew anything about. I literally didn't know. I feel so ashamed about that. I feel so uh, really uh, not, not good about the fact that I did not know any or anything about like what matter, what was going on in their lives. It was such a boardroom level conversation. I felt like we're just moving, moving, moving. Whereas now that we're in the living room, the conversations, you know, we're still getting the business part done. We're still getting work done, but we're actually connecting at a different level that I had to answer the second part of your question. 
I would do my very best for that to continue. I don't know if it will continue, but I will personally try to do my very best. And I hope everybody on the team and everybody out there will do their personal very best on that. I wonder what you both think about that. Yeah, I, I, I think that's one thing that we've always valued at the Southwest is um, really that, that not taking yourself too seriously and that, that personal interaction uh, that the company has always had. So um, that, that's, that, again, uh, is, was part of our DNA and uh, getting to know people on a personal level. But you're right. I've seen it so much in what companies are doing, how they're interacting. Um, you know, Zoom calls and uh, all yeah. different types of LinkedIn Live and, and how people are connecting on such a different level. And um, uh, we're, we're being more authentic. We're using that word again. Yeah. It, well, well, it humanizes people, right? Because like Sangram, I've met two of your kids um, and you've met my daughter. I think you met my wife. Yeah. Um, it's stage one of cultural mastery, which is education, right? And, and one of the things we say there is, you can't lead people to the highest levels until you know them at the deepest levels. Mm. And most leaders really don't know their people. And they're not even stage one. They want to be in stage five where they're like, or stage four where they're creating and they're doing collaborating and stage five and all this stuff. But they don't even, they've never even, they don't even really know their people. Yeah. Right. And we can't lead people to the highest levels until we know them at the deepest levels. And it takes time. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying. I'm gonna I'm gonna back out and let Ginger talk for a while, but I gotta share this because you shared this with me. And actually it's coming in my new book, The Six Stages of Cultural Profit, and that is uh the ROR and no longer focusing on the ROI, which is return on investment, and focusing on the ROR, which is the return on relationships. And I, I just thought that was fantastic. So I'm I'm a ginger. <laughs> Uh, I think it's, it's all, it comes down to that, right? Like building building great relationships is is the way to go. I, I love Erica's comment over here too. Is like, well, this is this is a good time to lead because this is what leadership is all about, and, and comes down to it. Bring bring me back home on these couple of points. Both of you uh, are huge believers of creating community. And and Ricardo, you definitely have heard me say that that without community. We're simply a commodity, right? So at this point, as an organization, how should people go about thinking about their organization as a community? Because it's worth much more than an employee working and getting a paycheck at, at this point, more so than ever. Ginger. Hey, um, well, you go, Ricardo. I'm going to have to go. Uh, there's somebody keeps knocking on my door. <laughs> <laughs> the humanity of this, right? Yeah, and better bring them in. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to the Spanish language. The, yeah. the word común, which is the root of community, yeah, means common. We create community around our commonalities, and I, I, that's the start point, right? What do we have in common? Unfortunately, so many of us culturally are so divided and we're looking for the things we are different about. And, yeah. we, and we promote this, you know, we're diverse, you know, and now we have all of these diverse groups within our macro group. And so now now I, I have a big company and, and I have an ERG or a BRG that's for Hispanic. I have a Hispanic group and I have a, a female group and I have an LGBTQ plus group and I have a now I may have a millennial group and I have an Asian group. And, and so with, within our saying, we want harmony and unity, we actually create the segregation ourselves. And, and right. so I think that to create true community, we cannot segregate that. And we have to find what we have in common, which is the root of the word community. And I think that's the start point for me, Sangram. I, I, Ginger, I'm sure you speak to it. That's a yeah. great one. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things, um, one of the values we talk about is not taking yourself too seriously and allowing people um, to really show their personalities. And a lot of times, one of the things, one of the myths um, about culture is that if I empower my employees, I might lose control. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things that we've learned in all of this. Man, if we empower our employees, 
so many organizations are seeing the incredible things that our employees will do and how they'll step up to the plate and uh, really take action. So um, I just, uh, I talk about, um, you've got to talk about how how we allow people to go about uh, living our values living our values and being themselves. Uh, and, uh, you know, one, one of the examples, here's an example, uh, is how many organizations weren't very virtual and how they suddenly are. I was uh, helping my parents with long-term care issues and I'm suddenly on with an employee at, at the insurance company. And, you know, I hear a dog and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're working from home. This was really early on. Yeah. So this was a company who was very early on allowing their employees to work at home. So that's one of the things I'm seeing is how much organizations are really trusting their employees. They hired these people for a reason. And now they're no longer as many in call centers, uh, but they might be working from home, uh, working, you know, they suddenly have a laptop and they're working from home. They haven't ever done that before, uh, but we're allowing our cultures to bloom. Because uh, we are not putting people in a box, yeah, and we're allowing them to uh, really show us all that they possibly can do. Uh, that is so true. I remember almost this. This is December time. I was having a conversation with someone who said is a business owner, and they said, "Yeah, the, you know, we will never go virtual. Like our business just doesn't do virtual, right? I mean, we we need people in the office. That's part of our. Like I remember this conversation with them uh, in, in in December time frame, not knowing this was going to happen. Right now, uh, I talked to him later on. He's like, "Man, virtual is the best thing. Like I can get so much. We don't need a building. We don't need a physical place. And I can I can track and monitor everything. And our business is doing well. I mean, it was like." businesses and people who never thought it was going to be possible or like all of a sudden they hit with a wrecking ball and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, this, uh, this is the new way to do business. Right. Hey, um, and Sangram, one of the ways I refer to that um, is freedom in a framework. You know, we all have a framework, but how much freedom can we give our employees Boy, to really shut, give that great customer service too often? I mean, think of it. How many times have you been in a customer service situation? where all you've had is a framework. And you can tell that that employee you're talking to uh, just has a framework and they don't have, they have limited options. But when we open that up and we give, um, you know, freedom in a framework um, uh, and we give them so much more freedom to solve the customer's problem, use their personality, and then we back it up by recognition. Uh, There's a form of recognition in which we're showing um, all the pull all the levers on their recognition to show how really that type of freedom is allowed, and mm-hmm. from that, other employees can see, oh, you know, Sally did this. Now uh, I'm going to go do this because yeah. they see all all of the possibilities of the that freedom brings. I love that. Go ahead, Ricardo. Yeah, so I was an early adapter to virtuality. I, I took my company, Bilingual America, virtual in 2004. And, but mine was really a personal choice because I just, I didn't like being surrounded by a bunch of people. And I, I had lost a lot of my creativity because I, I ended up managing a lot of people. And, and so I, I saw this, I, I don't know if it was AT&T or Amex, it was something like that on TV. This is like 1999, 2000. And there was this ad of this guy sitting by the beach on a laptop. And it was futuristic at the time, right? <laughs> here's this guy working on the beach. And I thought that's me. And (laughs) I worked five years to get my company virtual. I think that what's interesting to me just as a student of culture, right? And and that is this, I think people have been obligated into this. And I wonder, and I think we won't know yet. I wonder, for example, Sangram, when this is all said and done, and now you have all this transparency and you're able to see that your people can have freedom within a framework, as Ginger said, which is a great phrase, by the way. But if you if you look at it, I wonder, like in your guys's case, are you going to bring people back into an office, or are you going to let them continue? You know, yeah. and I think that, that will be the true tell of okay, this was just because we had to, or we really see the value in this culturally, and this is a good thing for all of us. I, I don't think we know the answer to that question yet. A lot, yeah. you know, a lot of people talk right now about the new normal. We don't know what the new normal is because we don't yeah. know what, how this is going to normalize. And on the back end, we'll have to wait and see. I think it'll be interesting. 
Yeah, I know. I feel like for us, uh, we have these conversations. Obviously, trying to think four months ahead of time and seeing like how we plan to do it. Real estate because we have an office in Indianapolis, we have in San Francisco, we have in Atlanta, and we're trying to think through all of these real estate places. And 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 I think what's interesting for us is that I feel there's absolutely a need for people to come together on a regular basis. Now we can define what regular means. In, in this new state that we are in. It could mean that, yeah, we got to do a, um, a a monthly or quarterly kind of retreat and bring people together. It's probably well worth. People are focused. People are actually focused on building relationships and all that stuff. And the rest of the business doesn't need to be every day like that. There might be certain groups. For example, our product and engineering team is rocking. Like They're like, oh my God, I just saved four hours of commute time and now I'm, I can work all these different types of they are like rocking their productivity and up, it's like through the roof. While another team like sales, they're like, we, we are people, people. Like we need to go and, you know, have beers with people. Like, you know, get, because like they're, that's the culture of a sales organization and spend time and bond and learn from each other and then go and do the same sales process next day. So they need that energy. So, so I think what I'm starting to see, I'm curious, Ginger, your and Ricardo, your perspective, that I think we're going to have the overarching culture and, and cultural ideas of how we want to run our organization. But to use your phrase again, of freedom within framework, which again, I love it, is that, all right, this is how we want to be relational in nature, but you can define within your team how that actually operates. Right. And, and I think a lot of times we'll be hearing this uh, from our employees. They're going to be saying our culture is changing. And I yeah. Think, yeah, our organizations are going to change. So I think keeping two things separate, um, our values, are our values still the same? If we're not living them, then maybe we do need to update. But if we're living our values and the, our behaviors, that's our culture and how we treat each other. Uh, now, our systems, sometimes employees confuse our culture and our systems. We might mm -hmm. be delivering our product in a different way. Uh, that's not our culture. It might change the way we do our daily jobs, but our yeah. culture is how we treat each other and our systems and how we go about doing our jobs. Um, that, that's not our culture. And yeah. maybe separate, helping employees uh, separate the two the two. But we've got to remember that the change is going to be um, the most dramatic uh, on the front lines and what our employees are going through and how we're helping them. It's still change. It's a, there's a lot of change in how we go about helping them will define our culture. No doubt. No doubt. That's such a great point, uh, Ginger, to, to make the separation between what culture is, again, your beliefs, the values, your norms, your, your symbols, and your language which really aren't necessary. Those things maybe will drive the way we do things, right? We may have some additional um, beliefs that are formed through a process like this. We should as a, with a crisis, right? There, there is such a thing as the, the evolution of culture, right? And, and so it, it's okay. I mean, we've all lived long enough that we think differently today than we did 20 years ago, right? Yeah. And so essentially, if my beliefs change, that is by nature going to change some elements of my culture. And, and I, I think we'll come out of this um, with a lot of companies going to common workspaces and companies who are running hybrid type of virtual, non-virtual organizations, as you mentioned. But I, I think the companies are going to look more like these kind of common workspaces uh, than they are with people with just everybody coming to work on the same day every day in their own office or in their own cubicle. And, you know, but that's going to be driven. And this is to Ginger's point. That's a practice. That's not the culture, but it may be driven by the belief now that we now understand that people uh, can, in fact, prosper and be productive and perform well without having to have this locus of control. Absolutely. All right, folks, I know, I mean, first of all, this idea of freedom within framework is on fire uh, in the chat. So we should totally do something with that. I think that's a good indicator for it. And, and one of the big takeaways for me is, is this idea of belief. So, so I would love for everybody when they get a chance, and I'll put those links later on, uh, to go to your website, unstoppablecultures.com, because you have a manifesto of all the beliefs 
what do you believe in? What do you believe in? What do you believe in? And I read that a few times this morning. I'm like, that's a really good way to put that and, and you know, make it a reminder. So I'll, you know, that, then I'll love for people to go check that out. And also uh, from Ricardo, you tell me if there's a, a place people can get that free book that you mentioned that talks about the six stages. Yeah, they can actually get a full, the first lesson of the Cultural Mastery course, and which includes the first chapter of the six stages of the Cultural Mastery book. Uh, so all they do is just go to culturalmastery.com and it's right on the front page. They can just request that lesson, just first name and email. We're not asking for much information, but it, it, it's, it's the actual lesson that's in the course. So I think it'd be very valuable for people. And it's just called What is Culture? That is amazing. So uh, I really appreciate both of you jumping on and Ginger with all the difficulties. You came in bright. You came in like super awesome. Or your spirit. Your spirit. Try the third device. Which, by the way, what device was it that that you didn't it's try? It's my husband's iPad because uh, my iPad was just our Wi-Fi is not working, and exactly. so um, my I have a different carrier. He had a different. I'm not going to mention his carrier. <laughs> it was he had a better carrier so that yeah great. and i i love to offer a gift as well yeah um one of the things i talk about are the five lies about corporate culture and um and they haven't changed they were the same last year as they are today so they haven't changed i'd love to share that pdf uh, with anyone, they can just go to unstoppablecultureswellship.com and backslash culture of greatness uh, in tribute to what uh, Sangram was talking about today in the name of the program today. So just unstoppablecultureswellship.com backslash culture of greatness. And I'll send you that PDF and I hope that it's helpful to you. That is, that is fantastic. And just so everybody knows, all these recordings, we're reposting it on the Flip My Phone podcast so people can go in and listen. I'll make sure that both of your links are included in the show notes uh, for that. So that'd be good. So again, Ricardo, thank you so much for this, uh, this time and introducing us to, to meet you, Ginger. And Ginger, thank you so much for making and figuring out a way and truly having a warrior spirit to get into this thing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, everybody been listening to the flip my funnel podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player if you have an iphone we'd love for you to open the apple Podcasts app and leave a review thank you so much for listening until next time